This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation. We're going to continue with our other red letters. All right, Revelation chapter 3. We're going to go to uh, the church in Philadelphia. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are in the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will I leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray, God, that everything that we say will bring you the greatest glory. Lord, help us to be challenged by your spirit this morning. Lord, help us not to walk out this, these doors the same way we walked in. But Lord, help us to, to honor you in all that we do. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would live out and walk out and flesh out what you're teaching us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. What sort of church does Jesus, God, prefer does he prefer a uh, independent church? Does he prefer a Baptist church, a Methodist church, an Assemblies of God church, a Catholic church, a Brethren church, an Episcopal church, a Pentecostal church? Which church is Jesus coming back for? That's a question we should think about. Or maybe we should ask a different way. Maybe he's coming back for a rural church or a mega church or a house church, a city church, a multi-site church, uh, maybe a church plant, new churches, old churches, small churches, black churches, white churches, and we can go on and on. What kind of church is Jesus coming back for? Or maybe what kind of building is Jesus coming back for? Is he coming back to the church where it has large buildings or, or they have to be on storefronts or, or maybe they meet in an apartment or somebody's house or at a bar or a cathedral? Thankfully, the word of God tells us what kind of church that Jesus prefers in coming back for. Jesus is looking for a growing in faith church, a church that is fervent with love and I would say abiding in hope. So it's not those external things that sometimes we think are important. I'm glad that you're here and I pray that Mosaic is a church that's growing in faith, fervent with love and abiding in hope. He wants a church that's motivated by love, founded on the truth, strong under pressure. 
You know, one of the biggest challenges as a pastor of a church is that we have to always make sure that our motives are right. And one of the things I find difficult sometimes when I go to church growth seminars is sometimes I feel like the, the, uh, the motives, you know, you're wondering what the motives are. Is it just to fill a pews so that you can pay the bills? And I pray that we would never get there. Of the seven churches, and we haven't done them all, we're almost there, uh, only Smyrna and Philadelphia will receive no words of condemnation. And I think it's something unique and encouraging for a church because both churches were facing an incredible amount of persecution. And why is the question you should ask ourselves is they are facing persecution because they were strong and bold in their witness. Hard times typically make for strong churches. We talked about that a few weeks ago. The tactic of the enemy, he tries to either uh, create pressure and, and, and get us to bow our knee through the stick, or sometimes he'll use, which is typical out west, in the west, is use the carrot to seduce us and to, to provide comfort, and, and it's all about us, and before you know it, we're, we're seduced, and we become like the culture versus the culture become more like Christ. In Revelation chapter seven, we, uh, three, verse seven, we see that in the church of Philadelphia, it's a city that's about 35 miles southeast of Sardis, the other church. And it's uh, located on a fault line, and it's, and, it's, and it's an area where there's lots of earthquakes, and it's known for its brotherly love. It's called Philadelphia. It was considered a missionary, not a necessary Christian missionary, but a, a mission church it, uh, city. It had a purpose to begin to influence the rest of Southern Asia. And there's a narrow pass that goes through that city. It's kind of like a doorway. It's a nor narrow doorway. And it was a doorway to Southern Asia. And the, uh, Philadelphia was the youngest of all the churches. It was the smallest of all the churches. And the Lord is going to open a door and give them an opportunity. And here's the church that Christ heartily approves. And we're going to extrapolate some, some of the things that we see in the story about the church in Philadelphia. Look what it says. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. He knows your deeds. And we talked about that last week, our last time, is that he knows our deeds. He knows what's going on. Remember, I shared that story with you about I didn't think my parents knew about my little excursion to uh, Cape Canaveral. And, uh, and a lot of times, parents don't know what's going on sometimes. But that's not God. He knows exactly. He knows our deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, that you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And I love this, that Jesus Christ is the only one that opens the door. When God opens the door, it says no one can shut. And when he closes the door, no one can open. I always get this question, Pastor Mario, how do I know if the Lord is opening a door? Have you ever asked that, at least in your mind, like, God, are you opening a door? Uh, do I, what's going on? And, and I have a picture of these doors that are just... Um, Reminds me of the matrix, you know, which door to go through. Which door should I go through? It's been my experience in my own life and in, in lives of others 
that it's not easy to find out which door to go through. And sometimes we see a door that might be cracked open and, and sometimes we might need a little shove to go through there. In 1993, when uh, my wife and I and my two and a half year old daughter, Melise, we didn't know if we were going through the right door. We felt God calling us to campus ministry in Tallahassee and we loaded up our, our 24 foot van and we got in and we just came here. We didn't have family in Tallahassee. We didn't know anybody really in Tallahassee. We felt like God opened the door and we didn't know for sure if it was the right door, but we, we went through it. And a lot of times that's typical. It's typical that we don't necessarily know if that's the right door. Sometimes we have to just take that step of faith and go in. And that's usually when we find out if it's the right door. You know, I'm glad that God didn't show me everything about what would uh, transpire after 26 years of making that decision, because there have been some really awesome things that have happened, and, and you are part of that awesome thing that has happened, but there's been some tough things that have happened, and I can't imagine if God would have showed me everything when I was 29 years old uh, with my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and if he showed me everything, I don't know if I'd walk through that door. The door is sometimes fueled with ups and downs, twists and turns, unexpected things that we don't see coming. It's overwhelming. Life, I find, is better to live one day at a time. One of the things that my mom struggles with is that she always preoccupies her mind with what might happen. And I have to sometimes talk to her, mom, don't suffer twice. Don't suffer today what might you have to suffer the next day. And so, and if something does bad happen, then she's, she's suffered twice. And sometimes we have to just say, Lord, help us to just put one foot in front of the other. Help us to stand strong today. I can't worry. You know, I remember, um, I remember 12 years ago, I could imagine myself pastoring Mosaic Church uh, into the future. And I remember thinking, how am I going to come up with like 500 sermons? I literally got overwhelmed. And I just like, Lord, help me just focus on on, on this season, focus on this moment. You know what I find? Uh, there's a picture of a, a car. Is, is that on there? The um, I didn't update. I updated it. But there's so just think of it. You know, when God says I want you to go to Jacksonville and it's late at night, it's dark. You get in a car, and a car hopefully has headlights. And to me, faith and walking through a door is very much just like that. It's a car. You don't get it. The highway is not lit up from here to Jacksonville. The whole place is not lit up. What is lit up is your, your headlights. It gives you about 200 feet of advance. As you move forward, you get 200 feet. And, and, so, and you can make it to your destination. And so I love that about faith, that, that picture of faith is that God gives us enough to keep moving forward. And God, I would say, that rarely shows us the whole picture in advance. The open door is usually a door that's slightly pushed open. But we still have to summon up enough courage to walk through it. Jesus himself, the one who's holding true, the one who has all authority, opens the doors for his people. Mason just recently got married. That's, that's a door. You know, I remember uh, hearing a joke about marriage. Is, it's it's going to be good. It's not going to be bad. You know, somebody asked, you know, you're in this, you jump in the pool of marriage and it's cold. Uh, and then your friend is out on the, on the ledge and he says, how's the water? And he says, it's great, jump on in. And so, and he jumps in and he realizes it's, it's cold as well. And sometimes we just have to take that step. 
We don't, sometimes we're, we can be cowardly and we want everything laid out for us. But as scripture tells us that it's Jesus who opens the doors and he's the one that closes the door. And he is sovereign over all the doors. We can trust him. Even when we walk into a closed door. Have you ever done that? I've done that. What I love about this, this passage in, in Revelation chapter 3 is that Jesus honors faith and not strength. Jesus honors faith and not strength. It says here in verse 8, I know that you have little strength. Anyone feel like you have little strength right now? You feel tired? I'm raising my hand. Little strength means, when I read this, means a great opportunity for God to do something in your life. Sometimes we think, and I've thought this too, we don't have a mega church, we have a small church. What can the Lord do with a small church? But it's all a matter of perspective. And the church in Philadelphia had little strength. And I think today we can assume, at least and put it in today's perspective, that means they didn't have a lot of people and they didn't have a lot of money. Didn't have a lot of people, but they, and they didn't have a lot of money. When we started Mosaic Church 12 years ago, we didn't have a lot of people and we had no money. You know, typically they tell you to start a church with uh, 50 to 100,000 in the bank. And uh, we didn't pay attention to that and we decided to start a church with $3,000 in the bank. The church in Philadelphia had little strength, most likely very little influence, very little money, and not a lot of people. But one thing they did have, they had great faith, and that's a lesson for you and for me and for all of us. I may not be as wise or eloquent as some of that you might hear on podcasts, I might not have money, we may not have money, we may not have a lot of influence, and maybe in, even in your own neighborhood, you don't have a lot of money, and you don't have the nicest house, and you don't have the best job, you're not the most educated. But the question we have here that kind of levels the playing field, do you have faith? Do you have faith? Can you trust in the Lord? Do you know that you can trust in Jesus just as much as the person that might be really wealthy? or that it may have a better job, or might have even a higher position in, in, the, in the Christian world. That's one thing I love about, and I, I've always, I always thought about this, is I always wondered, uh, I have some good friends that are very influential, and they love Jesus. And I always wondered, um, and, and they have a lot of money. And I always wondered, back in my mind, if we were to remove the money part, would they still be as influential? And that's a good question. I think if, if someone has a lot of money, they shouldn't need to ask that question. Because I notice that when you have a lot of money, people treat people differently. Have you ever seen that? Just nod your head. You ever seen that? Yes. And so in, in the Christian world, that's why it should be a level playing field. It should not be about what's in our checkbook. It's not, it should not be about what kind of car we drive. It definitely should not be what kind of job we have. And at Mosaic Church, we don't play that game. When we walk in, the field is level. And what we're looking for is, do you have lots of faith? Do you trust Jesus? Do you honor him? And that's what brings a stature in our, in our midst here. It's not what kind of job or what kind of money you have, what kind of car you drive. So what does God honor? He honors faith. And you could be on, on minimum wage and welfare in our church and be a person of faith 
And I pray, God, that you are highly valued here. Highly valued. Because God looks at faith. What, what is he looking for? He's looking for faith. What is he reward? He rewards faith. And so how much faith does he require of Mario? How much faith does he require of you? When we read Revelations chapter three, I would say he, he doesn't require much. In Matthew chapter 17, you know the story. And Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move here to there, and it would move and nothing would be impossible. So we don't need faith of many years of experience. We need faith. We need a little bit of faith. Faith the size of a mustard seed. You don't have to be old to be a man of faith or a person of faith, a, a, a woman of faith. You don't have to gone through life like 30 years, 40 years in order to, to have a faith that God honors. Now, there are people who are afraid or ashamed of their faith. They don't like to rock the boat. And let me tell you something. We're getting to the point in our culture where the, the boat's going to be rocked. And we're going to have to make a choice. But do you have a lot of faith? So, you know, one of the things I, I always ask myself, what am I known for? If somebody were to, to write things, what are you known for? I pray that somewhere in there, it's not just that he's nice or he's courteous or he's thoughtful. He's understanding, he's a good listener, which nobody really puts down for me. What would they say about you? He's grumpy, he's moody, she's moody. Not friendly, very friendly. And those are, you know, it all depends who's writing it. But I pray that someone would say, he's a man of faith. I pray that they would say, she's a woman of faith. That's the, the level. So it doesn't matter if you have a good job. You can pray like a man or a woman of faith. You can trust the Lord like a woman or a man of faith. When I go to these uh, mission trips, I go to Latin America, and I see these incredibly poor people with incredibly great faith. I'm always humbled by them. Always. They don't have the right clothes. You know, their, their clothes are tattered. But I'm just so humbled, so humbled by their faith. And God is looking for people of faith. I think the, the great sin of the church is that we don't share our faith. And so Paul, um, I'm gonna just skip here a little bit. God is looking for a church that will and the church in Philadelphia is doing this, will turn the world upside down. To turn the world upside down. Would they say that about Mosaic Church? Mosaic Church turned the world upside down here in Tallahassee. Leonard Ravenhill wrote one time, he talked about this, um, he talked about these big conferences. He says, you know, there, there are conferences that spend $7, $10 million on a conference retreat where thousands and thousands of ministers would come. And they would spend seven days at a convention center at a church. And then they would leave. And this town wouldn't even know they were even there. The town wouldn't even know that they weren't 
they were even there after spending millions of dollars and lots of time. I pray that our church, I pray that you and me would be the kind of church that we have full of faith and that we can turn our world upside down. I think of, and I know that they probably stepped downstairs, Reuben and Tiffany are not necessarily, and I don't know, changing the world. But I know that they're changing someone's world. Walking through a door, they didn't know what to expect. And we still don't know what the full future is. But they're changing somebody's world, Jeremiah and Zariah's world. Think of my good friend in the back, Amber, and their two beautiful girls downstairs. So Amber, I'm assuming you're changing everybody's world, but I don't know, but let me just assume not. And let's just assume that you're only changing those two girls' lives. God is calling us to change people's lives, turn it upside down. Where, where would Jeremiah and Zariah be if Reuben and Tiffany did not walk through that door? Or Amber and Terrell didn't walk through that door. Very similar, Jeremy and Julie are going to be walking through that door. You have no idea what, we, we don't know, and we're here with you. That door is cracked open. You're going to get to see a little bit, but you're going to walk right through it. Or you're going to change somebody's world, turn it upside down for Jesus. And as parents, and all of us, many of us are parents, we know what it's like to bite the bullet so you can do the right things for your kids. I look back at my dad, you know, he just, we just buried him a month ago, and, and I'm real, as I look back, he had six kids, sixth grade education, mom had third grade education, and I don't remember ever starving. I remember not getting the food I wanted, but I remember never starving. I remember having powdered milk, carnation powdered milk. But I look back, and my dad did whatever he could to change my world. And not only physically, but spiritually. And the church in Philadelphia is a church that's changing the world upside down and to the point where we're still reading about her thousands of years later. Turning your world upside down. It may not be the whole community of Tallahassee. It may not be the whole state or the whole country, but it could be somebody's world. I think of, and I'm just going to mention one more couple is Christopher and Heidi and how they turn the world around those who they invest in. It says, the Bible says this. Let me get my Bible. That God opens and closes doors. And church in Philadelphia changes the trajectory of people's lives. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word, and that, and that have, you have not denied my name. Keeping your word. So I challenged Mason and, and Britain three weeks ago in their wedding. Keep your word. Keep your word. When you keep your word, you change people's lives, your, your own life, and the lives around you. Keep your word. 
I find that Satan hates people that keep their word. He loves people who don't keep their word. He hates people who preach the full gospel. Someone wrote, and a famous Baptist preacher wrote, the door of opportunity swings on the hinges of the opposition, of opposition. There's no such thing as an easy place to work. Even working here is not easy. There's no place that's easy. We all are confronted with our humanity. Some of our fiercest critics are at work, amen? But sometimes our even fiercest critics can be right here. I remember a few years ago, I mentioned that I was saddened over the decision by the Supreme Court, what they made, saddened by the decision on on marriage. And that's all I said. That's all I said, I was sad. And I got this pretty nasty email the next day. Actually, that afternoon. Calling me all sorts of things, but... None of them were true. I never said any of those things. I just said I was sad by it. And sometimes our fiercest critic can be inside the church. Let me move forward. It says, I will make those who are a synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews they are not, are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet. And the synagogue of Satan are those Jews in Philadelphia who persecuted the early believers. They saw Jesus as a threat to their way of life, and they hated him and those who followed him. And the Bible says the day will come when those hostile enemies will bow down and confess that Jesus is Lord. And I want to challenge us as a church, let's not be intimidated by those who hate us today. There are people who hate us because we believe in faith. We believe in Jesus. If we want to know what our future is going to look like, just go to Europe a little bit and just see what life is like over there. Be prepared. The Bible tells us in verse 9, uh, that every, uh, excuse me, in Philippians chapter two, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But look at what it says. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Sometimes the best thing you can do, sometimes the best thing you can do is Endure. That's what my friend was telling me when I was in St. Louis. They endured the storm. They endured. Sometimes the best thing you can do is endure. I remember this young man was telling me in St. Louis, you know, that he washes uh, his dishes and it helps him because he thinks of his wife and how he's blessing his wife. And I didn't want to say anything. I was like, but what's, what's going to happen in 10 years when you're washing dishes and you're not, you're not thinking about your wife? You have to endure. You have to keep forward. You have to do it because you made a promise. Because you're a man of faith or a woman of faith. And the church in Philadelphia endured patiently. The text calls us to do things. I'm, I'm moving forward. To wait for his return. Joseph Gordon, who was a missionary, came and he told, told us a story, but I've known some other stories, that there are times where him and his wife uh, had to go do ministry separately and sometimes for weeks or months at a time. And his wife uh, had to deal with a sick son, a sick child, but she still did it because it had to be done, she said. Time is of it, you know, it's short. It's coming to a close. The windows of opportunity are coming to a close. And she endured and did it. 
She kept her word and she would do it for the kingdom. We must live for Jesus and at the moment act like our time is very short. In verse 12 it says, him who overcomes I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will I leave it. I write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven. And I will also write on him a new name. Who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of sa- uh, says to the churches. And the challenge for us is that we must overcome and we must endure, we must live by faith every single day. Every single day. It's a day-to-day thing. You came to church this morning and you weren't motivated by money, which is good. Hopefully you're motivated by honoring God. And sometimes on Sunday mornings and even as your pastor, I'm like, today would be a good day to sleep in. Pouring down rain, weather's a little cool. No. No. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go because he deserves my very best. I want to walk by faith, not by flesh. I want to walk in honor of him. I want to be a blessing to those I'm around. I want to encourage you and you encourage me. I'm not going to stay in bed. Some of you hate your jobs and you go to work anyway. Sometimes God is calling you to be nice to people, to rude people. Sometimes God is going to call you to endure and to forgive. Even when you prefer to get even, you'd rather hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness. God's going to ask you to hold on to your temper at work or at home with your kids because he wants you to live by faith. He wants you to endure. He wants you to change someone's world and turn it upside down. I don't know if Melissa, there she is. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know how any mom does it, and I don't know how a single mom does it. Um, but thank you for enduring. When it would, I guess it would be easy just to to give up, just to run. Not easy. Endure. Changing. You're changing your world. Your daughter's life. You're changing your daughter's life upside down. As I share, you know, my, my marriage wasn't the best. But I can see how my kids' lives, lives were changed upside down. Living by faith, enduring, honoring, taking one day at a time. That's the church in Philadelphia. Didn't have a lot of strength, wasn't, didn't have a lot of money, but it changed the world. I pray that, I pray that we say that about our church. We don't have a lot of money. We don't have a lot of people. But I pray that we have a lot of faith, that we have a lot of spiritual fortitude where we can endure, and that we would be faithful and endure, full of faith that lives will be changed. We are called to be overcomers. We're not called to fall into temptation. Even when there's disagreeable people, difficult situations, Unexpected setbacks, angry critics, chronic pain, friends who are, are not very friendly. And when we have personal failures that no one knows but our 
ourselves. There's always reasons to give up, always reasons to quit, always plenty of excuses to give up and leave. But the promise we hear for the church in Philadelphia, for those who persevere, for those who persevere. Jesus promises his people that they will be pillars in God's temple and they will never leave God's presence. And that's what you might hear from us from time to time, that God's presence is our reward. Those who trust in Jesus will be safe and secure with his presence. I love this part. Those whom God has redeemed will be named and claimed by him. I'm gonna pick on Rhea a little bit. Uh, after 10 years at Chi Alpha, they, they wanted to honor me and give a, put a plaque and name a tree in my honor. And she did her best, and she made a little plaque and put it near a tree by the stadium. But guess what she did not have? She did not have the power nor the authority to do that. She wanted to name a tree after me, and I appreciate that. But she did not have the power nor the authority. Only people who have power and authority can rename trees, buildings, street names. And Jesus tells us in Revelations chapter three in the church of Philadelphia, he's going to rename us. And how is it that he can rename us? Because he has the power and he has the authority to do so. That's why we put our trust in him, not myself. This is one of the things I like is that when we get to that place where God is gonna call us, certain names won't matter. Doctor so-and-so will not matter. Lawyer so-and-so, professor, politician, coach, banker, teacher, famous athlete, rich man, rich woman, famous YouTuber. It won't matter if you have those titles. But here's some other names that won't matter, which is very encouraging to me. Failure, hated, abandoned, humiliated, liar, adulterer, fornicator, drug addicted, dummy, ugly. Those things won't matter. They won't stick with us. On that great day, the blood of Jesus will wash away all those hashtags. I'm encouraged by that, amen? Our good names and our bad names won't matter. We're all standing on the same ground, saved, redeemed, renewed, and renamed by our Lord. We will be given a new name of the new Jerusalem because that's where we will spend eternity. I'm gonna ask our band to come on up. Look what it says here. I will write on the name of God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I'll also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's, let's just pray and, and get our hearts right.
I want to, the last PowerPoint says faithful to the end. Every eye closed, every head bowed, even on our band, just look at your stuff. But, and I'm raising my hand, so you're not going to be the only one. I'm raising my hand. But you say, Pastor Mario, there are times where I just wanted to, to cut and run. Yes, amen, me too. Me too. I wanted to cut and run. But Lord, I pray, God, in the name of Jesus. Let's go ahead and everybody stand. In the name of Jesus, Lord, help us to be faithful to the end. Help us to be people of faith. Help us to be people of faith that endure, that continue to trust in your name. And Lord, I pray, God, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, that you give us the power to walk for you every day and that lives around us, their world will be changed for the good. Lord, we pray for our little kids that are downstairs. I pray that we wouldn't do anything to mess their lives up because of our lack of obedience, our lack of endurance, our lack of faith. Lord, we ask for more faith, more power for endurance, more spiritual fortitude that can only come from you, not by tightening our belts and gritting our teeth, clenching our fists. And Lord, for all the spiritual children around us that, Lord, that we are influencing, maybe not by blood, but by spirit, we are influencing those around us. I pray, God, that we would walk with endurance and faith. And Lord, we recognize we may not be super influential in the community. I'm reminded of the Proverbs chapter 30. It says that the lizard can be caught but it will be found in the king's palace. And Lord, I pray, God, that because of our faith in you, our trust in you, our endurance in you, God, that we would be people of great spiritual stature of faith. Thank you, Father. Hey, let's just spend our time. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.